Well, good evening. It's Good Friday. And Good Friday is an important part of the journey. We continue our Easter series called Sunday's Coming. But tonight, we're going to be focusing on one of the two crucified criminals who witnessed Christ's last breath. Colin Smith's book, Heaven, How I Got Here, inspired me for our script tonight. And in fact, Luke 23 inspired Colin. I'd like to read Luke 23, verses 39 through 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God? Even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you'll be with me in paradise. My name is Jacob. I was one of the guys who was crucified next to Jesus the Christ. I'd like to tell you about the six hours that literally changed my life. Not sure you understand this, but during the first century, Jews were not fans of the Romans. We hated the oppression, their barbaric behavior. Therefore, I felt justified as I stole from the Romans, you know, taking back what belongs to me. Then I got caught, and I was sentenced to be crucified. Crucifixions were common in the first century. Runaways, rebels, and criminals were crucified. The Romans were trying to make a statement. My crucifixion was scheduled for 9 a.m. on a Friday morning, right before the Passover. That morning, the soldiers strapped a crossbeam to our arms and pointed us toward Golgotha. Crucifixions happen there often. The 100-pound crossbeam was too heavy for one of the condemned. Whoa, he was a mess. While we walked, he staggered and often fell to the ground. The crowd was harsh, shouting insults and throwing things. The trip up the hill seemed to take forever. Once we got there, the Romans tied ropes to our limbs and stretched us out. I couldn't see the person who was nailed to their beam, the first person. But I heard his curses and it shrieks. The convict, who was a bloody mess, caught my attention. I couldn't take my eyes off the one they called Jesus. He winced, but he didn't resist. He willingly stretched out his arms. Then it was my turn. No words could describe the pain. I squirmed and cursed, but to no avail. I thought the pain was bad. 
But bad soon went to worse once they dropped the cross into the hole. The weight of my body pulled and tore the flesh in my hands. It was hard to breathe. So I developed a rhythm. But the pain was relentless. Then Jesus spoke. Father, forgive them. His words startled me. This didn't make sense and even angered me. Jesus was abused by both the crowds and the soldiers and then was crucified. It was disgusting to look at Jesus. He didn't even look like a man. Yet Jesus wasn't angry. He wanted to forgive the very people that put him on the cross. I was now ticked at both the Romans and Jesus. I hated them both, one for their actions and the other for their attitude. I had heard some of the Jesus stories. He was supposed to be a miracle worker. I thought it might be a good time for one of those miracles. But he was quiet. He didn't retaliate or make things right. By this time, most everyone was mocking and jeering and spitting on Jesus. I joined the crowd and started to throw out my own choice words. Even though I had only been hanging for about an hour, the pain was relentless. Something impossible to describe. I just didn't know if I could endure a minute more, much less hours or days. My mind began to race. I hate Rome. Why am I jeering at Jesus? In spite of the chaos, something happened about 11 a.m. God Eternity began to flood my thoughts. I was going to die soon, probably meet this God, which I've heard about all of my life. What would that be like? Could I look at him? Would he condemn me? I continued to listen to the tirades of the crowd and by the other thief. I then shouted over to the other thief, Don't you fear God? The crowd quieted down for a moment. I lamented. And I cried out in a raspy voice. We deserve this punishment, not Jesus. Look at him. He's not at all like us. In the midst of the chaos, I continued to ponder as the pain intensified. I knew I was far from God and quite evil. In fact, meeting God began to scare me. I then noticed the sign above Jesus' head. It read, Jesus, King of the Jews. All of a sudden, my mind quit racing. The fog seemed to lift. My thoughts were clear. If Jesus was king, his kingdom was different, and it had to be coming. I was strangely drawn to Jesus. 
He was so different. I gulped. And then asked Jesus to remember me. The words felt awkward. It was an audacious request. But I was desperate. If he had forgiven the Romans, the crowds, maybe, just maybe he could forgive me. Everything seemed to get really quiet. It was clear that I broke the ranks with the crowd at this time. It didn't take long for Jesus to answer. He looked at me and said, Amen. Today you will join me in paradise. I couldn't believe my ears and was shocked by his response. Jesus said, Amen. Amen means truly, verily, I tell you the truth, I promise, I guarantee, I tell you with certainly, certainty, listen, what I say is true, assuredly, take these words to the bank, I would soon be with Jesus in paradise. God's grace amazed me. His mercy shocked me. His love overwhelmed me. His promise gave me hope. I was happy, sad, grateful for the promise, just really sad I hadn't responded. It had gotten dark, really dark about noon. The blackness was thick. I couldn't see a thing. All I heard were the groans and the gasps. Then about 3 p.m., the daylight mysteriously returned. I heard Jesus gasp. It is finished. Then his head dropped. The earth shook and the rocks were split. No one had ever experienced anything like this before. The calloused Roman soldiers were both mystified and terrified. Then I saw the centurion fall to his face, worshiping God. I heard this hardened commander cry out, this man truly was the son of God. The Jewish leaders had quite a different response. I actually couldn't believe it. Didn't they see what we saw? They were agitated, bent out of shape about the Passover Sabbath coming. They had asked Pilate to hasten our deaths, although Jesus had already died. Actually, I was grateful. I was looking forward to my time together with Yeshua. They broke my legs. Then I began to suffocate. As I was dangling, trying to fill my lungs with air, 
I looked over and saw the soldiers thrust a spear into Jesus' side. I started to hallucinate. In spite of the pain, there was peace. Just before I met my Messiah, I smiled. I whispered thanks and closed my eyes. I'd like to continue my story and tell you about heaven, but that will be for another time. You know, 2,000 years ago, on a Thursday night, Jesus ate the Passover Seder meal with his disciples. We call it the Last Supper. Traditionally, it was last night, the day before Jesus died. Jesus gave the traditional Passover Seder meal a brand new meaning. I'd like to read from Luke 22, starting in verse 14. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave some thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed by my blood, which is poured out for you as a sacrifice. You know, during this meal, they would lie on their left sides during the traditional Seder time. It would start off with a sip of wine, And then there would be thanksgiving. Then they would wash themselves ceremonially. Then they would enjoy some matzah or some unleavened bread. There would be another sip of wine. And then there would be some stories, mostly of the faithfulness of God and how he protected them and walked with them through their desert experience. There would be another washing, and then you would actually have the Seder meal filled with certain herbs and bitter types of food and some meat. Then there would be a third cup or sip of wine. There would be some praise, and then they would close the Seder meal with a sip of wine. Now what most of us don't understand is back when Moses 
shared the story of the Exodus. In Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, the Jewish tradition has incorporated four cups of wine into the Passover celebration. The third cup was exceptionally significant. It was called the cup of redemption. In Exodus chapter 6, I'm going to read you the text and highlight the cups. Therefore say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I will free you this was when the first cup was sipped from your oppression. And I will rescue you. This is when the second cup was sipped from your slavery in Egypt. The third cup came at this time. I will redeem you with a powerful arm and the great acts of judgment. And then the very last cup, at the very end of the Seder meal, would celebrate this. I will claim you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from oppression. Let me read again from Luke 22, putting this in perspective, reminding you when the cup of redemption was sipped. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Now in our text, that would probably be the first two sips. Then he said, take this share among yourselves. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After the supper, or after the meal, Luke writes, he took another cup of wine. This is the cup of redemption. This is the cup that everyone who was Jewish understood exactly what it was. Only Jesus gave it a brand new meaning. He said, this cup is the new covenant. This is the new agreement between God and his people. An agreement confirmed by my blood or with my blood, which is poured out for you as a sacrifice. What Jesus was literally saying, the very thing that you celebrate, a God who redeemed you, I am going to do that. For you. In fact, from now on, I want you to come together. And I want you to take the bread, not go through all the other things, and remember about my body that was broken for you. And I'd like you to drink the wine, the cup, the juice. And I want you to remember that I am the Lamb who is sacrificed for you, that brought redemption to you. So Jesus just so happened to show up during the Passover and just so happened to be crucified and just so happened to spill his blood 
for you and for me. I'm going to pray. Father, this is way beyond anything that we can understand. First of all, why you loved us so much that you would spread your arms willingly, that you would be mutilated, that your blood would be spilt, and your life would be taken on this horrific object of torture. Why, God, you would do that for us shocks us, amazes us. Lord, we were not like Jacob. We did not see this happen. But God, Jacob never had seen anything like it. The soldiers had never seen anything like it. And they had perhaps crucified hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Father, we thank you. We thank you for taking our cross, for shedding your blood, and for redeeming us, for restoring a relationship back to you. You've not only covered our sins as the Passover lamb, but you took our debt and paid it. And we say thank you. Thank you. Amen.